Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who is that twist of lime that you absolutely needed, but not necessarily asked for. He is the captain. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking up some Blueberry Thrill from our friends at Saskahana Brewing Company. This Rattler is zesty, sweet, bright, and refreshing. ABV 4.2%, garage grade 3 and 3 quarter bottle caps out of 5. And this week we are giving cheers to our good friends here. First up we have Catherine in Dallas, Texas. And a big shout to Vanessa in the party room in Parts Unknown. Here we go, Captain. We have a shout-out to Fatty Patty in Oviedo, Florida. And a big shout-out to Ashton in Knoxville, Tennessee. Next up, we have Natalie in Portland, Maine. And last but certainly not least, we have Aldi in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks to everyone for contributing to this week's beer fund. If you want to fill up the beer truck for next week, just go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And if you need more True Crime Garage... Give me more. (laughs) I need some more. Let me get through the announcements, please. Go download the Stitcher app. It's free. You can listen to all of our old episodes. And if you download the Stitcher premium app, you can get off the record our bonus show and that is enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime So thanks to Taylor Beal's online post, investigators knew that Taylor and Ben Foley had a past and continued to talk online and possibly even see each other. But the more troubling thing here, Captain, is Ben Foley online claims 
to be an ex-con, which absolutely turns out to be true. So what did this uh, doucheberger do? Well, he had some charges for assault and breaking and entering, and I think it goes even beyond that. One thing that I find extra troubling here is statements we have from some of her friends that say that Taylor had gotten into this habit of parking her car on Ben Folly Street on the street that he lived on because there were no parking meters there for her to worry about. Mm -hmm. So what I'm getting at here with this captain is we have this situation where there seems to be some kind of friendship between the two. It looks to me like Ben Folly thinks that it is the friendship is one thing that it is not. And then we also have the situation of he, he's got a violent past, a history of violence. And he also probably could know when she's coming and going because he could visually see her vehicle parked on his street. Well, yeah. And, and again, the ruse of I'll, I'll take some photos for you. And, and we know that he's involved in these odd pornographic sites. Well, and regardless of whatever their relationship was or their friendship, I should say friendship because relationship makes it sound like something that it was not. Regardless of what their friendship was, the the thing is her friends that knew about Folly all really say, hey, I think that she was starting to realize that Ben Folly was more screwed up than she really wanted to deal with. Mm-hmm. But again, it appears that they may still have been hanging out. Now, when questioned by police about this friendship with Taylor, Ben Foley said that he had no idea where she was and he was worried about her. He said the last time he saw her was around 9.30 p.m. on that Monday night when she left his apartment after they, he said, after they hooked up. Police didn't believe him. In fact, they named him as one of several persons of interest in the case on October 3rd. But the problem was Ben Foley maintained that he had an alibi. But before Taylor had even been reported missing, Ben Foley went to the police station and filed a report alleging that he had been assaulted on the street by several guys. The time frame that he cited for the attack was around 5 a.m. on September 6th. This occurred in an alley near Franklin Street and Monument Avenue. Folly alleged that he was hit with an unknown object and a bag placed over his head, and then he was thrown in a car and driven around by several men before being released on a dirt road, and he had to hitch a ride home. Do we have evidence of this? Do we have the person that he hitched a ride from saying, you know, cooperating the story. Do we have any markings on his individual? Well, so police looked carefully at this claim, trying to determine, like you said, captain, whether this was true or not. The problem is if it is true, then it seems very likely that folly could not have been responsible for abducting Taylor. Folly filed this report around 4 p.m. on Tuesday. He made vague references to the attack likely being a result of a long-running altercation with, with an ex or another photographer over rights to some photographs. 
Mm. Which all seems a little loosey goosey to me. Well, you know those photographers; they like to. They're a bad bunch. They they have they have a gang of people, and they're going to abduct you and place a bag over your head and hit you with objects. The police officer whose name appears on the incident report did note that Folly admitted that he was extremely. He says he was extremely intoxicated when the alleged attack took place. He also said that he took medication for bipolar disorder. Now, yeah, okay, well, and let's let's dive into that real quick because most of the the medication that you would be on for bipolar are not things that you would one want to drink on, but they could also cause you death if you do drink on those medications. Again, though, you are a level-headed individual who makes good decisions. We once again find ourselves discussing a guy who does not make good decisions. I would be taking this uh, report as the officer, and when it would say officer's name, I'd put silly goose. So the thing that I have trouble with here, I don't know really why this would be considered any type of alibi. Because Folly says that he last saw Taylor, if we are to believe him, at 9.30 p.m. and then maintained that the attack happened at 5 a.m. Right. Hours. Hours later. Seems to me like you had plenty of time to abduct or kill or do whatever during that, that time frame. Well, and we have footage of her leaving her dorm, but they're going to find footage of him outside her dorm room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but again, he's not denying that they hung out that night. Well, and the thing is, I think what we have here is really kind of a front, a bit of a tactic by police. We saw how smart they were with the vehicle situation, right? Surveillance of the vehicle. Yeah. I think they thought, hey, this Ben Foley, he's pretty dumb. He's pretty stupid. We we had a meeting, all right? All of us investigators and police officers, we got together and we took a vote and we decided this guy's a real idiot. <laughs> so here's how the meeting went. Hey, uh, raise your hand if you think this guy's a dumbass. And There's like hand 19 went hands went up yeah. and then one guy was just kind of sitting there playing on his phone. He, for, he wasn't paying attention. No, one guy was, <laughs> no, one guy was like, but I really like his van. Right. I saw it on the news. It's pretty cool. Um, So I think they all kind of agree this guy's an idiot, and they're like, publicly, let's go out and say, hey, (laughs) we we understand he's somebody that we're interested in. We understand that there was some kind of friendship going on, but we have to clear, we have to figure this whole, he was allegedly attacked situation out. We have to figure out if he actually has an alibi or not. Make him think that you're kind of falling for it, right? Mm-hmm. And see if he does something dumb, because this guy has nothing but a history of 30-some years of doing dumb things. So it, he may he may give you whatever you need. He may give you that smoking gun so you can figure out what he has actually been up to. Because even though we have them on record saying that, I don't believe that they were falling for anything that he was saying. And I also, like you said, where's the evidence of this? Do Where's the person that gave you the ride home? Yeah, I'm trying to see where you're going with this because in my timeline, I know what cops do next, but I'm wondering if I'm missing something. 
Well, I really think that it was just a, to me, it looks just like a front that they were putting on at the time. I think behind closed doors, they didn't think anything of this alleged attack other than it was a false alibi, that it was something that he created to explain Mm -hmm. away a big window of time that he needs to be accounted for. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like our thoughts about their investigation, Captain, are correct. I mean, they seem to be suspicious of Folly, and this did not come out until later. But what we do know took place is that police did review that security camera surveillance footage from Taylor's dorm on the last night that she was seen. And as said, she is seen entering the building around 10.20 p.m., She walks through the lobby to the doors on the right-hand side of the frame, presumably to head up to her room, but someone else then enters the lobby at 1021 and paces around for a few minutes, clearly waiting for someone. And who is this person? Ben Foley. Mm, Boner sniffer. So his statement of, hey, I last saw her in the nine o'clock hour can't be true. You followed her in. We have video surveillance footage of you following her into the lobby of her residence at 1020 in the 10 o'clock hour. Right. And then she's going to come back out to hang out with them. So again, we know he's lying about the time frame or just misremembering, but it's almost like he knew that he was caught on tape. So he has to admit that he was hanging out with her that night. I don't understand this whole, I was attacked and that's setting up an alibi, but the time frame would be early morning hours and not around that 10 PM to 12 PM window. But I think where he really messed up is when he was telling the cops, well, and, uh, we hooked up that night. Now we have her friends saying, yes, they were intimate before, but she didn't want to do that again. That's not to say that she wouldn't have been intimate with him again. I mean, we, we have proof that she was intimate with him before. So I I would actually argue that that would mean there was more of a possibility just because she told her friends that she didn't want to do it again. But that leads to police to go, well, she's 17. And this is going to be enough for us to get a search warrant to search his apartment. Well, you are exactly right, because what's going on here, I believe, reading between the lines, I think that police had an idea that Folly was with her at a time that he did not give to them. I think they knew that for a while. I think they are trying to figure out what else was he involved in. And I also think that just because they didn't ask him about that 10 o'clock hour, he may be unaware of the security camera footage that he was seen on camera. They were seen on camera together at 1024, and then they both leave. Now, their joint departure is not actually caught on camera, but neither of them are seen on camera again, so we can assume that they left together. Well, here, here's why I'm saying not, not maybe the footage that the cops actually had, but here's this guy that's been around campus long enough to know the campus is heavily secure. There's tons of security cameras everywhere. So knowing that you met her on campus, you could just assume that at some point they have you on video footage. Right. And And, maybe the 930 thing is his way of trying to explain that away. Right. But also by just saying, uh, 
knowing that you met her on campus, this is why you have to tell the police. Well, I was with her that night for a little bit. We hooked up and then she left and I don't know what happened to her. So the security surveillance footage plus the fact that he willingly tells police we hooked up, she's under age. This is enough to allow officers to obtain a search warrant for Ben Foley's apartment, which was located at 407 Hancock Street. On September 16th, they went in and searched this apartment. Mm -hmm. And the search warrant must have included, you know, you have to specifically state what you are seeking in this warrant. It must have included electronic devices because we know that police left carrying some computers after this first search. And what they found on those computers led to the arrest of Ben Folly on September 23rd. Captain, would you like to do the honors and inform us as to what was found on these computers? Well, what's interesting, I don't think it's just on the computers. I think maybe also on disk and things like that. There was a lot of child pornography. He tries to explain that away by saying, well, some of this was left by the tenant before me, I, I didn't even know it was there, but that couldn't explain away the child pornography that was actually found on the hard drives. And that he had multiple, uh, computers with extremely large amounts of hard drive space. I mean, especially for that time, 2005. That's right. There, so there wasn't really anything on the computers linking folly directly to Taylor's disappearance. Although there were, those pictures of her that we, we discussed that he took. Hundreds of pictures of her, yeah. And hundreds of pictures. This hundreds is where, of images of child pornography. Well, and not just is what's that. what's described but, in the media release. Yeah, I mean, not just that, but also just tons of very, I don't know what the correct term would be, but you have pornography and then you have this more like this... Uh, demotic uh, pornography. Uh, okay, so this next bit's going to, the next 90 seconds might get a little difficult to listen to, but here's what I have mm. in my notes. Okay, so police said they discovered a massive, quote, a massive amount of extremely graphic child pornography featuring children as young as three and four years old being raped. By some reports, as many as seven computers loaded with pornography were confiscated from the apartment. According to the Richmond times dispatch senior assistant Commonwealth's attorney, Mike Jaggles later told judge Kimberly O'Donnell that there were as many as 30 movie files discovered on computers that were removed from Folly's apartment. Mm -hmm. Some depicting acts with minors as young as one. This is, this is, it just, tough to even read minors as young as one or two years old and others featuring individuals 10 to 14 years old folly of course maintained that the computers were not his as you pointed out he says they belong to a former resident of the apartment no one was buying this load of crap that he was trying to shovel uh right but this is just proves how, how this guy's story changes constantly he's always has some excuse for th- things and, and so that's when you really know that most likely whatever happened to her was at the hands of this individual. 
So like we said, this results in his arrest. It also results in a second, more comprehensive search of his apartment. Well, that, but here's what's great. We can put him in jail for these charges. And then because of these charges, we can go back and look for more evidence. We can build our case and know exactly where he is and hold him, and he can't do anything to get rid of evidence in the process. Mm -hmm. So the things that they were looking for in the second search, many of the items that were listed on the search warrant included things that would belong to Taylor. You know, her clothing, her, her jeans, a black hoodie, sneakers, black watch, bracelets, St. Francis necklace, student ID, Nokia cell phone, and car keys. All of that's listed on the warrant. Also listed were skateboards. Sometimes you want to put a generic term out there so you can take any skateboard that you find. Mm -hmm. Burglary tools. This would probably go back to his previous convictions. Mm Mm-hmm. They were also looking for knives, hammers, shovels, and pry bars. And I found this to be strange. There's always something strange listed on these search warrants. On here, we have the ever suspicious Pepperidge Farm cookie boxes. What? Yeah. I couldn't figure out. Hmm. I have no idea why this would be on the warrant. The cops were hungry. I don't know. If, if they had reason to believe that she would have had one of these cookie boxes in her possession at the time that mm. she went missing and maybe that, then they can go, okay, is it, it, it might be a coincidence, but it also might be a sign that she was here right. later that night. I don't have a complete and complete list of what was found in the apartment, but here's what we do know was taken out of the house pursuant to the search warrants. Uh, women's white underwear, a laptop computer, a Macintosh computer, a digital camera, sex toys including two dildos and spiked bracelets, a knife, two bags of clothes from a garbage can outside of the house, a beaded necklace with a cross from, this was removed from the garbage as well, a bicycle chain necklace, a watch from the garbage can, a 35 millimeter camera, a box containing bones, he collected weird things like that. Yeah, but, which everybody has a right to have weird shit. Oh, but. yeah, yeah. We, we 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 all probably own some weird shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, rolls I mean, of film. I mean, we probably don't have a bunch of dildos laying around. Uh, a black bra, a machete, cigarette butts, a prescription bottle, skateboards, they did find skateboards, a yearbook, a hatchet, a hammer, a pry bar, a 32 caliber cartridge, and a partridge in a pear tree. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. The one thing that was rather interesting of note here, Captain, police also removed a section from a box spring that was stained with some kind of reddish brown substance. They did include... And executed a warrant for Folly's hair and DNA samples. Not found were Taylor's cell phone that they were looking for, her college ID, her car keys. Again, anything linking Folly, Ben Folly, directly to Taylor's disappearance does not seem to have been found. 
Just on the child porn possession alone, police had enough to charge Folly with a felony. And as you said, hold him while they continue to build a case against him regarding Taylor's disappearance. And they also charged him with a possession of a firearm because remember he's a convicted felon. He's not legally permitted to be in possession of a gun. But their their investigation takes a pretty interesting turn as far as because you you collected all this stuff, but but where do you go from that? I mean that none of this other than the child porn pornography can you charge him with? And, or like you said, the the gun possession charge. So you can add that on top of things, but well, they're going to go to the public for help, okay? Because on October 11th, police announced that they were specifically interested in the sightings of the following items between the dates of September 5th and September 17th. They want to know, had anybody seen a white Ford Escort? That's Remember, that's the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Virginia license plate JPC2848. And they asked the public to call in sightings of the vehicle and a description of whomever may have been driving the vehicle at the time. They wanted to know who had been driving Taylor's car around Richmond during that time that they can't figure out where it was. They also wanted people to report any sightings of of Virginia personalized license plates, G-R-N-E-R-T-H. This was a plate stolen from a vehicle around the time Taylor disappeared, and police believed it might have been in Folly's possession. And they also sought information about that Ohio state license plate as well. Right. So what's interesting to me is while they need the public's help, it seems like they have a general idea of what was going on at the time. He abducted, he did something to Taylor and was moving her vehicle around during the time that it it was unaccounted for. And he may have been switching out the plates multiple times along the way. Right. Because if if you know, this girl's missing you, you see what kind of car she has, how many people saw that car, looked at the license plates and went, well, that's not her car. Yeah. Yeah. It also came out around the same time. The media reported that Folly used his credit card to buy gas in new Kent County between Matthews County and Richmond on the night that Taylor disappeared. So this really kind of, to me, would suggest that his later claim that he was attacked, there doesn't seem to be any time left for that to actually have taken place. It's the old Mm -hmm. Jesse Smollett jumped farce we got going on there. Meanwhile, Taylor's family lawyer cleaned out Taylor's dorm room taking all of her possessions back to her hometown of Vienna. And they stated, Taylor's family basically stated, even if she is found alive, she's not going to be returning to VCU at this time. Right. There's too much going on here. and Because at this point, you have to believe that she's abducted. And so if you do find her alive, there's no way that you're going to want, as her parents for her to be around that vicinity to have any of those bad memories. Well, things are looking very, very bleak by this time. And now they're really honing in on Folly, and he's locked up, and they can start, they want to start going through his social circles now. 
We're going to publicly ask the public for help, but we're going to get into his social circles and ask these people for help. And one of the people that they come across is this young woman named Aaron, who was also a VCU student and somewhat of a, a friend or acquaintance of Taylor's. And oddly kind of looks like she could be related to Taylor. Uh, definitely looks like uh, Taylor's mother. Like there's a, a lot of similarities there. And she's a little older than Taylor. Um, she's 23 yeah. at the time. Apparently she dated Ben Folly for some time. I guess they only dated for a couple of months before Aaron broke up with him. Well, and she she probably didn't want to come forward because it was such an embarrassment that she dated this douche in, in the first place. Well, I think she was the one that the charges, some of his previous convictions right. stem from so well it, he had a history of meeting crazy the, after these girls after a while well yeah but oddly he would he would start dating them and because oh let me take pictures of you you're so beautiful and he would make these girls feel like they're the best thing in the world but then that became oh well now i'm jealous of everybody else and i just love you so much that i'm jealous of everybody else and then become aggressive, almost like self-sabotaging the relationship. Like, Well, and here's the thing too, Captain, what we got going on now, we've seen a lot of these types of cases. Anytime detectives think that we have somebody who needs to hide something that they never, ever want anyone to find, they start asking the people that know them best, okay, is there anywhere that he liked to camp? or go fishing, or go hunting, you know, outdoor activities. What does he do, and where does he go? So they start talking to Aaron. They start showing her picture after picture from his pho photography webpage mm -hmm. because they need her to identify some of these locations. Yeah, Here's a picture. Tell us where you think this area is. Yeah, he would take pictures of girls and things like that, but he would also take pictures of, like, old rundown sheds and, you know, just fields and, and random items and locations. So one photo that caught her eye, you know, she's looking at photo after photo. Finally, she sees one and she's like, holy moly, this might be something here. This is a photo of an old abandoned house with like a tin lean-to attached to it. The house was oddly enough located on her family farm which was about 90 miles away from Richmond in Matthews County. Right. And I think he, she took him there at some point. Maybe they even shot, shot those photos together. Well, and remember we talked about folly purchasing gas with his credit card right out that night. Now, all of a sudden this photo of an old abandoned house, 90 miles away out in the middle of nowhere seems very important. For all of our sakes, we need to avoid crowds any way we can right now. But what if you need to go to the post office? What if you need postage to send out letters and packages? Don't worry, Stamps.com is here to help. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and skip those lines and crowds 
at the post office. You personally print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, for anywhere. Then just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. No human contact required. Whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. With Stamps.com, you get great discounts too. Five cents off every first class stamp and up to 62% off USPS shipping rates. And now Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62%. You won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale without any long-term commitments. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Garage. That's Stamps.com and enter promo code Garage. Stay safe, my friends. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. You spend one-third of your life in sheets, Don't you want them to be insanely comfortable? So put comfort first, like with new bedding, loungewear, towels, and more. Brooklinen has it all. Home of the internet's favorite sheets, Brooklinen's got over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. And starting this weekend, Brooklinen's kicking off summer with an event you'll want to get comfortable with. Get everything from bedding to towels to loungewear and more at savings you won't believe. My house is comfortable because of Brooklinen. I wake up in the morning on the best sheets I have ever owned. They were so nice that I end up buying a Brooklinen comforter. And then when I mosey on into the bathroom, what awaits me? Towels. The sheets were amazing. The comforter was amazing. Who would think that the towels wouldn't be amazing? They're so amazing. They're a game changer. Like softness, comfort, essentials to help you relax. Brooklinen has it all. Brooklinen.com is the perfect place to find all the comforts for home. They're so confident in their products that all their sheets, comforters, loungewear, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. Their Memorial Day event kicks off this weekend, and you don't want to miss it. Ease your way into summer with big savings on sheets, bedding, towels, loungewear, and their newest hammam and linen collections and if you can't wait you can get 10 percent off your first order and free shipping on all the new sheets right now when you use promo code garage at brooklinen.com that's b-r-o-o-k-l-i-n-e-n.com brooklinen everything you need to live your most comfortable life All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Thank you so much for donating to the beer fund. I am sipping on some nice brew because of you. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for telling a friend about our little garage show, too. And thanks for t- telling your friends not to listen, too. And thank you to you, Captain. And thank and thank, and thank you and thank you to our friends that listen. All right, we might have might have had a few too many. Yeah. I love you, man. <clears throat> on October sober 5th, up. Right. On October 5th, police headed out to the site where that photo was taken. This accompanied by Aaron. They a creepy wanted, photo. Yeah. And they're going to be searching this whole area. And before too long, 
They identified a body and a plastic bag in a ditch off the side of a wooded road. The remains were very decomposed, but were wearing clothing that was similar to what Taylor was wearing when she disappeared. Sure enough, the medical examiner soon identified the remains as Taylor Beal based on dental records. Well, and think about this girl that's helping out the police. They're, they're, she goes out to her family's property. She doesn't know what she's going to find. They they find Taylor. She then has to think about the relationship she had with this person and how that possibly could have been her. Uh, that would be a very traumatic um, experience. There are several theories as to why this area may have been chosen for the the dump site. You know, the, they seem a little odd. Who knows what was going on in the mind of the person who placed her there? So there, there's one theory that I do find this interesting. I don't think it has anything really to do with the case, but there's a thought that maybe Ben Foley thought if he put her on Aaron's family's property that maybe it would get confusing to investigators and Aaron could somehow be involved in Taylor's disappearance. Possibly. We, we know he lies about everything. I think what likely happened is this is just, unfortunately, maybe a place that popped into his mind when he thought of, like we said earlier, hey, I got something I don't want anybody to ever find. And he thought this was a good place to put it. Well, they're going to go back with this information. This is basically now the cops have a loaded gun that they can point at him, and he's going to start confessing to what he claims happened that night. Yeah, and one thing that they will be equipped with when they go in to talk with Folly is they took some soil samples from the undercarriage of Taylor's vehicle. Mm-hmm. And they were able to match those two soil samples taken from the area where the body was found. So they are able to piece a lot of this together before they even talk to him. They know where she was found. They have a general idea of what happened to her being that she was either abducted or killed and then transported in her own vehicle out to that location. And then we know the vehicle came back to the VCU campus area and was, was placed there. Now, Taylor died in a manner that did not leave visible marks on her body. So they were unable to determine the exact cause of death. There was no broken bones or obvious signs of death. Now, mind you, she rather decomposed at this time. Folly continued to deny that he had anything to do with this, but that's not going to last very long, Captain, just like you pointed out, because he will... He will offer up some kind of confession, well, of sorts. Mm -hmm. And this was against the recommendation of his attorney. Folly told investigators that on the night of September 5th, he and Taylor had driven out to a beach in the Matthews County area to hook up. He said he was very drunk and high at the time and was off his meds. The two engaged in what he called rough sex, and he said Taylor accidentally died. According to him, the two had played a sex game, and it was all Taylor's idea. She wanted to try erotic asphyxiation, but it backfired. And when she died, he panicked and dumped her body in that ravine. 
although he tried to spin this off as some type of accident, Folly himself may have made mention of what he planned to do to Taylor. In one journal entry by Skulls67, in a journal subtitled Playing with Fire, the trash of a crazy ex-con, he wrote about his sexual conquest with partners referred to by their initials like K and E. He also talked about someone with the initials T and said that there was something he, quote, still wanted to try with her. Mm -hmm. This was before Taylor died. Taylor's mother was quick to dispute Folly's version of the events, of course. She says, let's be clear, Ben Folly murdered my daughter. She said in a news conference, his claim that it was accidental is just one more perversion of the truth and his ever-changing web of lies. Yeah, he, he claims that they were, they went out to this location. They're trying to hook up. They're in the backseat of the car. That he was drunk and, and high and, and office medication, all that stuff. They were trying to put a bag over her head during sex. That wasn't really working because she wanted to pass out. This is what he's claiming. And so then he took the bag off her head but then put it around her nose and mouth. Now, once she stopped breathing, here's the strange thing is during his confession, he doesn't dump the body that night. He doesn't, he doesn't just go, Oh, I got to get rid of her and and take the car back. He claims that he comes back to VCU with her body in the back seat and, and, and that the car is parked there for a day or so. And then he drives back out to that same location and then dumps her there. Um, but again, this guy will lie about everything. Yeah, and as you pointed out earlier, his story changes when it needs to. You know, yeah. he has an excuse, he has a story, he has an alibi until boom, you present him with facts, with truthful evidence and facts that you know to be true, and then he says, "Well, here's a different story for you." Well, but here's the thing though, is he already has more and more charges that are mounting against him. Yeah, and what's difficult, though, for the prosecution and for the state, Captain, is that we do have this, while it does not seem likely, it is a plausible defense of this was an accident and maybe he shouldn't be charged with murder. We also have the problem that we really have very little forensic evidence in this case at all. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take a good amount of time. In fact, it was not until January 17th of 2006 that a grand jury handed down an indictment of folly. This was for first degree murder. God, the, I would love, to, I would have loved to try this case. Once the uh, grand jury was told and it was explained that the medical examiner could not have identified an exact cause of death because of the decomposition Then we have an indictment that was amended to second-degree murder. The death penalty obviously going to be off the table at this point. Now, despite holes in their case, prosecutors went full steam ahead preparing for a trial, working with investigators, trying to build a circumstantial case to prove that Taylor was not the initiator of this so-called sex game. Mm Mm-hmm that she was not into bondage or erotic asphyxiation or 
really that she would not have consented to any of this crap and that that folly killed her and probably deliberately killed her it was not an accident by any stretch of the imagination well and his defense team is saying well she was she wanted to try this because he had tons of pornography on his computer and showed her some different things and she was like oh i'd like to try that yeah that's what he claims but but it doesn't matter. I mean, the the idea that that uh, anybody, female or male, would be on trial for wanting to try something sexually, that's her right to. That doesn't equal being murdered. Right. You know, so it doesn't matter how you slice it. It doesn't matter if it was his idea or her idea. That does that should never equal murder. So what we have here, Captain, is in August of 2006, the murder trial is about to begin. Mm -hmm. But what we get, and I, man, I so love this. We get a gift for the prosecution because Folly opens up his big fat mouth. That's right. Folly made the mistake of talking and his defense attorneys got wind of this. In a jailhouse conversation with an officer Folly described Wait, but, but his... Hold on. You got, you got to set it up a little bit better because he is coming back to his cell after after this. Like, um, there was a meeting mm-hmm. and and basically this, this web of lies that he's been casting, he claims that it's the ultimate chess move. Right. He says he's playing a chess game and really the story that he came up about Taylor's accidental death was really just that, just a story designed to clear him, to take the heat off of him, explain away what happened, but it's not what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And then we have a little bit more. But hold Foley, on. Okay, because you you know this better than me. This is the part that's kind of confusing me. Because he makes that uh, mission to uh, this officer, and then the officer lets the defense team know. Now they can't they can't represent that idea because they know it's a lie. Is that right? No, I think the thought here is we have people that are going to testify that he was lying about this story. Right. Okay. And and then we have this weird thing where he's writing letters from jail to a female friend. The prosecution gets a hold of these letters. They did not help Folly's case. I don't know exactly what was in these letters, but these were mentioned during this portion of the story. Right. And what this leads to is by August 9th, we have Folly consulting with his attorneys, and they decide that Folly should take an Alford plea for second-degree murder in exchange for prosecutors dropping the child pornography charges. Out at the plea proceedings, prosecutors and defense attorneys were able to present their cases to the judge, whose job it is then to determine whether there was enough evidence to warrant Folly taking such a plea. The confession, his tapes of his confession or so-called confession, were played in court, and later transcripts were released to the media. More details about this confession came out, and you went through quite a bit of that when you were telling us about what happened. I One thing I found weird was it cites that Taylor wanted to play a game that she called Drunk Monkey. I don't know. 
and again, it's it's almost it seems a little silly to go through this confession when we know so much of it is just completely false. And we can we can say that based off of his plea, off of his later plea where he accepts that he's going to be convicted of this. Yeah, I mean, and again, I, I have some questions, but I don't think it matters. Like, was she alive when they went out to this location? I don't know. Did he did he bring did he actually bring the body back? Did he bring Taylor back? I, I don't know. You know, I don't think it matters. I think at the end of the day, no matter what he states, everything else again, he can still say he's still saying in prison, I'm not the cause of her death. She wanted to try something and it was an accident. Well, we know that you told people, hey, I'm a genius. I came up with this excuse. But everything else points to to murder. Right. This this happens. She blacks out. She stops breathing. You don't call 911. You then claim that you transport her body back to camp campus, not telling anybody. That equals murder. You then change license plates multiple times on that car. That equals murder. You then lie to the cops about what happened. That equals murder. You then lie to everybody and tell her family, almost in a braggadocious way, well, we hooked up that night. No, you didn't. You probably raped her. That equals murder. You then constantly lie about everything and and all these twists and turns and take not only the police, but the family members of your victim on this wild ride, all that stuff equals murder. And then you put her out in the middle of nowhere. And her, and this is what her mom says for her body to be eaten by animals and bugs and insects. Cause you don't have respect for human life. You won't have respect for this young lady, this was not your friend. Because all that stuff equals murder. Well, and unfortunately, it seems like for Ben Fawley, well, for those around him anyway, that he was ramping up to something like this probably for quite some time. Now, I don't have those all those letters that he wrote to his friend while he's in jail, but... Wait, hold on for a second. Ladies, get better friends. You, you don't, who, who's the, who, who's the person communicating with this fuck, you know? Well, we do have a portion of one of those letters and this is going to be what really is going to seal the deal here. And they read this aloud in the, uh, the plea proceedings. I believe that all of them, all of these letters were read, but the one that made its way to the media is this. And this is directly from Folly's written letter to his friend. He says, quote, people don't like me. They never do. As a child, I had no friends. I was a bother in the way, a problem. So I spent most of my life alone. I never liked the thoughts in my head. People are right. Something is wrong with me. All the thoughts of killing and death in my head, and now it's true. I've killed someone. These are his own words. 
At the conclusion of the Alford plea hearing, Judge William Shaw III found that there was substantial evidence that Folly was guilty of murdering Taylor Beale. He sentenced Folly to 40 years with 10 years suspended. Folly would serve 30 years. Taylor Beale's case is famous because it is one of the first to be solved using the victim's social media. Police were able to narrow down the suspect list very quickly because of her postings online. Taylor's funeral was held the day after her 18th birthday. Benjamin Folly is scheduled to be released on November 14th, 2031. That's just too soon. Janet, Taylor's mother, has published a book called Love You More, The Taylor Beale Story and has become an outspoken advocate for victims. Taylor's friend, Aaron Crable, received a $20,000 reward for her assistance in locating Taylor. With some of the reward money, she established a fund for women in crisis in honor of Taylor Beale. All right, thanks for joining us here in the garage. Nick, do we have any recommended reading? Yes, we do, my fine captain. This week we are recommending Without a Prayer by Susan Ashlin. This is Without a Prayer, the death of Lucas Leonard and how one church became a cult. You'll want to pick up this book because this is a very tragic and weird case. And if you pick up Without a Prayer, you're going to find out the how but also the why. And you don't have to write that title down right now. No, you can just go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the recommended page, and we will have that title amongst others right there for you. And make sure you sign up on our mailing list while you're at the website, truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, why don't you be good, be kind, and please don't listen. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.